Today we're going to begin a new series on Advent, and Advent is technically or is a Latin word for uh, waiting or anticipation as we wait for our Lord to return. They were waiting on a Messiah to come the first time, and we, we are exhilarated and encouraged by the fact that we get to look back and see how they waited for the first Messiah, and as we were, were, uh, wait for his second coming, what an awesome experience it is for us. And so we're going to be looking at all of those different parts of the story of Christ coming to earth as a child. And uh, as we look at it, we're going to ask the Lord to guide us and to lead us as we study his word together. There is a sermon-based study. So if you want to look deeper into the, what we talk about, the passages we use uh, at each of the locations as you go, there's a sermon-based study. You can do that in a group or by yourself. Today we're going to look at the, the gift the gift of hope, so the focus is hope, and that whole concept of Christ coming to earth to provide hope. And uh, this past week, thank you for your prayers, my family and I visited Tennessee, uh, Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, all of that area, um, driving through the beautiful Smoky Mountains. And as you're coming through, you're just amazed by the beauty of God's creation, and it's overwhelming, the views. And then you get a little, like if you're like me, it's like, okay, I need to get closer to earth, even up here on these mountains. It's a little high for my liking, but it's a beautiful place. I mean, it doesn't need, it's like a painting that doesn't need any more, uh, but then you drive down into Pigeon Forge, and, and I thought, I got transported to Orlando. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of interesting things in Pigeon Forge, a lot of uh, unique things. I'm like, I'm in one of the most beautiful mountainous areas in our country, and there's a store with a giant alligator on it. I said... Are there alligators here in the Smoky Mountains? And then I looked to the other side of the road, and there was a store, and the, the entrance had a giant shark's mouth. And I said, are there sharks here? I, I thought it was interesting, and it's a good picture for us, because you have this beautiful place, this amazing, uh, awe-inspiring place of landscape, and, and just as you look at the mountains, and, and even as the clouds come down, and everything's so beautiful and so amazing, it doesn't need anything more, and then we come in, and we build a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with the beauty of the thing that it was built there to begin with, and I thought, what a great picture of Christmas, Christmas, is, uh, it's gone so far away from Christ coming to earth, a G, a Jesus being born, a baby being born to save us from our sins. We've missed the entirety. Has, what we do now has nothing to do with the thing that it's about. And it's important for us as believers uh, because this is such an amazing opportunity for us. What an amazing opportunity. As a guest, I'm glad you're here. And I don't know where you are in your, your walk. If you know Christ yet, I pray that you do. Uh, the most important thing that we talk about here is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are lost in our sin, that he died on a cross, rose again to give us eternal life. This is a season where we get to talk about that freely because so many people celebrate the birth of Christ. Well, why do you celebrate? What's so important about this person that so many people would celebrate his birth? What is unique about his birth? What is the, the meaning of these songs and the meaning of all the things that we do from giving gifts to bringing Christmas trees in our house to all these different things? They, they point us in many ways to Christ. And so as we have the opportunity, uh, let's use it to brag on, uh, to share to encourage those with the good news of Jesus Christ. What an awesome opportunity we have. 
So we're going to look each week at a different gift. Today we're going to look at the gift of hope, that by what Christ did on the cross, it's a gift of hope for us in salvation. And you know, a gift communicates a lot of things. If you were to get me a gift for Christmas, and I opened it up on Christmas Day, and I looked at it, and it was insoles to make me taller, you would be communicating something to me. If I opened the gift and uh, there was Rogaine, if you got me Rogaine for Christmas, I, you would be communicating something to me. Uh, if I opened it and it was a subscription to Weight Watchers, you would be communicating something to me. It's amazing how, I, and I didn't really think about this before, how much a gift really does communicate. A gift communicates, do I even know you? Because if I knew you, I would know you don't really want this. <laughs> Gifts communicate so much. Did I take the time? Did I pursue the person? Did I try to get to know them? Did I give them something that's valuable to their life, something that's going to make their life better, something that's going to make them happier or bring joy to their life? Or uh, did I just do it because we're supposed to do it and I got you whatever the first thing I saw and I don't really care if you like it or not? Gifts communicate so much to us. And I, as I live out my Christian walk and as I look at the world, I'm beginning to realize every day God uses all of these things to teach us. He uses all of these things in day-to-day life, all these things in our regular lives. He uses to teach us lessons. And I believe when we come to a season, God, why did you allow everyone, all these people all over the world to celebrate your birthday without even knowing who you are? And why in the world do we give each other gifts? Why did you allow that to become a thing? Because, God, it seems like we've misused that, and now there's commercials before even Thanksgiving on Black Friday on how to buy, and we've turned it into this big commercial, how to make money, and you need this, and if you don't get this, you'll never be happy. And so we've turned the Christmas season into what can I get for me, and such a selfish thing. Why did you allow presents to be a part of it? But then as I studied and I looked, I realized Presence, God wants us to understand presence. He wants us to understand why, what gifts are and what the purpose is and how gifts impact us. And I think it's such an amazing tool he uses our regular lives, the things we do all the time, the things we may not even think about, are such beautiful pictures, such powerful, poignant teachings on how we're to live our Christian lives and what God is trying to communicate to us about the gift that he's given us. And so as we look at his word I want to ask the question, what does God want us to know about the gift of hope? What does God want you to know this morning? As you walk away, we believe that we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth, that today we want to renew our minds by focusing on God's word, that my mind needs to be renewed, your mind needs to be renewed. We need to focus on the things that are above. We need to hear from the one who created us on what we are to do and who we are and and how we're to focus our lives. And so as we come to these passages I'm going to ask that the Lord would lead us in understanding and that you would walk away from the service saying, the Holy Spirit has taught me something. He has inspired me to something. I am now more committed. I am more in love. I am moving forward in my Christian faith. The, the purpose of us gathering right now is that you specifically, where you are, would hear from the Holy Spirit of God and that he would speak to your heart. So I'm going to pray and ask that to happen. Um, it's not about any one individual. It's about Christ. And so we want to focus on him right now. Father God, You are holy and just and righteous and powerful. 
And Lord, we look at the universe as we have these telescopes now that can see so far out and see the billions and billions of stars and galaxies. And Lord, how immense, beyond our even ability to truly understand how immense this universe is, that you created it. And that, Lord, within that creation, you created this planet and you put us on this planet and you made us in your likeness, in your image. And that, Lord, you gave us free will to choose against, to be self-governed, to uh, desire our flesh over your spirit, and we rejected you. And and in the midst of all of that, Lord, you've shown us through your word that you humbled yourself to be a lowly human being, one of us, that you were tempted every way we've been tempted, and you allowed yourself to go to a cross and be put to shame and separated from the Father and sacrificed on that cross to be dead three days and raised again. Lord, I pray that even though we've heard that our whole lives, many of us, that it wouldn't be dead but powerful. That, Lord, we would recognize what you truly did by humbling yourself to become human, to becoming one of us. And that, Lord, we would be moved in our very core to follow you as we study your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The context for this morning's message is the, the, the idea of hope. Why, why is hope important? What does hope even matter? And, uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of hope. Yesterday there were people that were hoping Auburn would beat Alabama, and their hope was dashed, right? There are people that are, were hoping that that one thing would go on sale on Black Friday, and it didn't go on sale, um, they're hoping that they get a good report from their doctor. They're hoping that they get good news from their children. They're hoping uh, that their bank account stops going down and starts going up. Um, there's hope in a lot of different things in the world today. But what we recognize as believers is the greatest hope of all is salvation by Christ on the cross and the resurrection. Romans chapter 6 uh, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul was inspired as he wrote uh, to the Roman church to put gift, the word gift. It wasn't something to be earned. It wasn't something that you could do on your own. It wasn't something that you could achieve. It was a gift freely given. And as we look at this, we see that the gift reveals something. Just like if you were to give me Rogaine or, or something that would say something very poignant to me. Something that would say, Mike, you are, uh, you are not where you should be in this part of your life. The cross as a gift shows all of us something. It communicates something to all of us. Here's, what, here's the gift of Christ, what it communicates. It communicates that I am not good enough and you are not good enough on our own goodness. It communicates that I am lost in my sin, separated from a holy and just, wonderful, perfect God. The cross as a gift communicates so much more. And I think uh, what has happened, and I think it's so sad, that we have shared the gospel in a way that people don't truly understand what it means. Uh, Many people I talk to, many people I interact with, many people I hear as I listen to different things, they'll say, Jesus was a great teacher, he was a great man, he cared for the poor and the needy, he was a great man. And so I respect him, and so I hold him in esteem, but I don't see him as Lord and Savior. I don't think he's the only way. Unfortunately, the cross doesn't give us that option. If you listen to the words Jesus said while he was alive, it doesn't give us the option to say he was a great guy. Jesus did not give us the ability to say he was a good teacher or a nice person or someone who cared for the poor and needy. 
Because he said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, if you want to follow me and be my disciple, you must hate everyone else in comparison to your love for me. You must take up your cross daily and follow me. You must pluck out your eye and throw it away if it causes you to sin, leaving me uh, not Lord of your life. You see, what Jesus tells us on the cross, what the gift of the cross teaches us, is every person is lost in their sin. The gift itself, the gift itself reveals the truth. The gift reveals that without the cross, I am hopeless. Without the cross, there is no future to look forward to. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, which is a way of saying they've passed from this life to the next, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have what? No hope. They have no hope. Later on, we're told that that Jesus says to his disciples, are you going to leave me like these have left me because of my teachings? And Peter says, where will we go? Where else will we find this sort of hope? Who else offers this type of hope? Without Christ, there is no hope. Paul says we are, we're most to be pitied if there is no resurrection because that is our hope. The gift reveals our need. The gift reveals who we really are. The gift shows us, it shows you, it shows me what I'm lacking and what I may believe about myself that's not true. It's easy for me to say, well, I'm not as bad as that person, or I haven't done the things that person's done, or I'm, I'm a pretty good person, and if God is love, then he should welcome me into his heaven eternally. And that would work if God wasn't just. God is just, and his justice is perfect. And so I must understand the bad news before I understand the good news, and the gift reveals both the bad and good news. The gift of Christ coming to earth Imagine the God of the universe, the vastness, the beauty, the wonder, the, the, how intricate everything is from outer space to the very cell. That God who created all those things humbled himself to be like you and me. He humbled himself. He became in the form of flesh, human. Not only did he become in the form of us, he didn't come as a king or a conqueror. He came as uh, the son of a very impoverished family, a 14-year-old, possibly 14-year-old girl who was illiterate had no uh, level of uh, power, authority in her time, and that he chose to come at that place at that time to show the humility that was needed. And that he was, he was tempted. One of the things sometimes we miss, he was tempted. Jesus was tempted everywhere you and I are tempted, and yet he didn't sin. This is the gift. Because guess what? You and I, and you don't have to guess this, you know this, you and I are tempted, and we do sin. I've been tempted and I've sinned. You have tempted and you've sinned. It is a very difficult thing. Jesus says it's difficult. This is probably the hardest part about receiving the gift is recognizing that I am dark in sin. He says, I have come as the light, but the darkness doesn't want the light. That our nature, our very sinful nature, all of us, every one of us, every last person, our human nature is to live in the darkness. Our desire is to live in the darkness. And Christ reveals through his gift, through his sacrifice, the need of salvation, the need to be saved, the need to have his light in our life. 
And so we come to that place, and it's like anything. I can not open the gift. I can open the gift and just put it on the side and never use it. I can, uh, the gift is there, and it's available, but it comes down to the choice of the individual. Will I first acknowledge the gift? So if you gave me, if you gave me something that would make me taller, and I got real mad and said, why would you give me this? How dare you? That's one response. I can say, thank you. Now I can walk around and feel taller. But it's a choice. And on a, on a micro scale, that is kind of what we all deal with. Am I willing to allow the Savior of the universe to come in and begin to do his work within my life? When I receive the gift of salvation, it's not just now a free ticket out of hell. It's actually now a personal relationship with God through Christ on the cross. And to teach us this, and so just to kind of summarize this, you see on the screen, if you have no Jesus, you have no hope. That is what, that's what God says through his word. Now, you, we can decide whether we believe that or not, but he says, if you have no Jesus, you have no hope. If you know Jesus, you know hope. It's amazing how the English language works. Same word means the opposite thing. No Jesus, no hope. No, Jesus, no hope. You know what's, what's really challenging? Most of us in this room have heard this most of our life. Most of you have accepted this into your heart, and you believe this, with, and, and you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How many people do not know that this is an option? How many people that you know have never thought about the fact that without Christ there is no hope? How many people that we interact with on a daily basis says, well, my job is my hope. Uh, my relationship is my hope. My health is my hope. Uh, me entertaining myself is my hope. Me doing the things that my flesh desires is my hope. How many people have convinced themselves that the only hope is fleeting? And it is have as much fun as you can while you can because this life will be over soon. So many have convinced themselves that life is hopeless. The logical outcome of a godless universe is hopelessness. Many of our colleges teach hopelessness. Our world as a whole has now almost agreed on the idea of hopelessness. Somehow we're going to save the earth. Why? Why save an earth that's just going to die out anyway? Why do anything if there's no God, no eternity, no real truth? Why? This is such an important truth for us to realize, an important reality for us to comprehend, because this is the undergirding, this is the totality of the gospel, is that we are lost in our sin, but saved through grace by Christ on the cross, giving us hope in eternity with him. If you have your Bibles, I would ask that you turn over to Luke chapter 1. We are given these beautiful stories, historical accounts of how this plays out. Much of what I've already said, you've heard. It's not new. This isn't, uh, you know, life-changing. For most of us, we've heard it all of our lives. It should be life-changing every day. But we've heard it. And when you hear something so many times, sometimes it becomes numb. Sometimes it doesn't have the same impact in your life. And my prayers, as we read these stories, we begin to see that God is doing a mighty thing here in his own story that we can all relate to. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verses 5 through 20 in Luke chapter 1. Now, Luke is a doctor. 
Luke is highly trained. He's been commissioned to get an eyewitness account of what took place to validate and verify the historicity of Christ. So when we read this, this isn't just some shepherd who was writing what he saw and thought in his day. This is a well-educated, well-established, well-funded individual with the sole purpose of telling us today what exactly happened so we can have an accurate account. So important that we recognize that God didn't make it so we can leave our minds at the door. He said, no, I'm going to validate everything that happens so you can have an assurance that this is legitimate. Luke 1, chapter 5. Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 5. In the day of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and the requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. At the hour of prayer, in the hour of prayer, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared and he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will Go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteousness to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was, spent, I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my word in which you will be fulfilled in their proper time. Here you have Zechariah. He's a priest. There's possibly a few thousand priests at this time and it was the custom each time of this year to cast a lot so that they believed God was going to ordain which was, which, whose name would be revealed. And here, Zechariah, he probably his whole life wanting to do this, the opportunity to go and, and to pray and to, and to put the incense here. This is before you go into the Holy of Holies. This is a very high esteemed uh, position to be able to do this. And he goes in and he puts the incense in and he begins to pray. And as he's praying, the angel Gabriel uh, reveals himself. And he says, your wife is going to have a child, and this child is going to be the one, like Elijah, uh, declaring in the wilderness, prepare yourselves, the king is coming. 
And so Zachariah, like you and me, you've heard in your life, maybe there was a time in your life someone came to you and said, you know, you're a sinner, you need Jesus, he's offering you heaven, he's going to give you, uh, if you pray to receive Christ as your Savior, you'll have eternal life. And, and maybe just like uh, Zachariah, you said, what are you talking about? Do you know how, many, how much sin I've done? Do you know how bad of a person I am? Do you know all the things that I have done in my life? How could I be saved? There's no way. I've done too much. Or maybe you do the opposite. Maybe you hear the news that that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose again to give you eternal life. You say, well, I'm not that bad. I don't really need it. What are you talking about? What are you talking about this whole thing about uh, heaven and hell and eternity? I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about right now. And right now my life's got some problems. And I'm really more focused on those problems than I'm going to worry about what happens to me after I die. Whatever happens, happens. That was Zechariah in the midst of an angel showing up, an angel. God sent an angel that's at his throne to validate the message. But that wasn't enough for Zechariah, was it? Because after the angel declares what's going to happen, what is his first response? How could this possibly be? And not only, so it's okay, it's okay initially to be like, what, I don't understand. But then he goes to the next level and says, my wife's old, it's impossible. So what does he reveal? He reveals that his faith is only in what he can determine. His faith is in the small. His faith is in a God who can only do things within the parameters that he believes exist. So Zechariah is a picture of all of us. All of us, in one way or another, have been given the message of the gospel. You've been given the the message of the gospel. And we all respond differently. And it's, you know, to look back and say, well, I responded that way, or maybe you've responded even that way to this day, all right, we're going to see. You don't have to stay there. Zechariah didn't stay there with his doubt. He doubted the hope. For a lot of people, the Christmas season, yeah, that's wonderful, that's nice, you know, it's, it's fun, but it's just a story. It's just something that people use to cope with life. It's just some story. It's not real life. Real life's hard. Real life's difficult. Real life's messy. Real life doesn't have these happily ever afters. Real life isn't like this. And we may not say that out loud, but we may say that in our minds. We may say that in our hearts. And the truth is, it doesn't really, what we say isn't as important as what we do. Our actions reveal what we think of the gift of hope. My action reveals, do I really believe this? Do I truly, honestly, putting my faith and hope and trust in this alone? That is what shows and demonstrates where your faith is. Faith is much more than words. Faith is your very life, how you perceive things, how you look at the world around you. And so Zechariah, he's given this, this truth that is overwhelming. It's challenging. But the beauty, you know the thing I love about this? is Zachariah didn't say, this is wonderful news. I can't wait to go tell everyone because I can't relate to that. Can you relate to that? That your life is about to change upside down. He's 70, 80 years old, and now he's going to have a baby, right? First of all, that's not, that's not how that works. <laughs> and second of all, wait a minute, I got like diapers again? What? I have no energy. Don't you know how bad, you know, I barely can get out of bed nowadays. 
The prospect of his wife giving birth first seemed impossible and second, maybe not so desirable. And so maybe the prospect of the cross to you at first didn't seem so great. Everyone's going to think I'm one of those religious nuts if I give my life to this. Everyone's going to, my friends are going to make fun of me. Everyone's going to think I'm such a fool for following this. We all, this is part of life. This is a story of us. This gift of hope is a gift that I look at and say, do I really believe in this hope? Am I really placing my life in this? And am I willing to share that with others? Am I willing to let my actions demonstrate my faith? Because Zechariah reacted the way I react, the way we will react. And yet God is still faithful and he's patient and he's like, okay, it's okay. Keep following me. But now, guess what? What does the angel Gabriel say? Okay, when you talk, you don't say the best stuff, so you're not going to talk anymore. How many of you wish you had the ability to tell someone you can't talk anymore until I say? <laughs> that's, a, I, that's a pretty cool thing that Gabriel had the ability to do. I know, you know, there's probably a lot of wives that would be like, I'd love to use this. This would be fantastic, right? You can just nod from now on. So it's a real-life story. It's the beauty of it. Luke is recording a historical account so that you and I can read it and say, I see myself there. I think sometimes we can think more of ourselves and less of God when we come to church. Because I can think, I'm, ah, Mike, you're wonderful. Look, how, look, you love God. And yet I look at scripture and I say, nope, that's probably more, I'm more like him. I'm the one who needs the patience of God in my life to demonstrate the truth. I need to make the mistakes so I can learn the truth better. And that's what we see here with Zechariah. Then we turn over and we see a very similar account, but a little bit different. If you turn to Luke 126. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Great greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by, her, by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great. And will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore the Holy One will be, born, will be called the son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her who, called their, <clears throat> who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. And this is what Mary says. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Mary, a young woman, a young Hebrew woman, 
that during the marriage time, there was, a, there was a time of engagement. And in that engagement, you were not allowed to have a sexual relationship until after the marriage occurred. And so to get pregnant prior to the marriage was scandalous and horrible and would change your life, that you would be known for that the rest of your life. And so she's hearing the angel come and speak to her about this amazing truth. She's, the angel says, Gabriel says to Mary, not only are you going to give a birth without having a relationship with a man, that child is going to reign on the King David's throne forever. He is the fulfillment of everything everyone has been looking for up until this time. Could you handle that kind of pressure? Could you handle that kind of news? Hear this young girl. As she listens, her first question. Now, does she question like Zachariah? No. She questions and says, I want to understand what God's doing. Help me to understand. I don't totally get it yet. It's not a negative understanding. It's an understanding of seeking truth. And you know, God says, I desire for you to seek me and you will find me. I want you to want to know more. I'm not going to tell you everything because I want you to seek after the truth. I want you to be someone who has a desire to know me more every day, that you're not full of me or you've had enough, but that you always want more. And so Mary says, I don't get this. How can I have a child when I've not been with Joseph? And the angel explains, no, the Holy Spirit will give you child. And then explains the wonders of this child. And then what is Mary's final response? May it be as you say. I am a servant of the Lord. May it be as you say, let his will be done. Zechariah doubted, and he was led to silence. Mary wondered, and she was led to a peace and a hope. She received the hope. She didn't reject it or deny it. She didn't say, how, you know, why out of all the people did you choose me? This isn't going to work. People are going to hate me. I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm going to be maligned. My life is miserable from here on out. If she looked at the world in the way that most of us look at the world, she'd say, my life is over. Everything I wanted out of life is gone. Every hope and dream I've had is gone. And yet here she says, may it be as you say, I am your servant. She received the hope, and we're called to receive the hope. How am I to receive the gospel? Confession and belief. What you say is true, now help me to live it out. What you say is true, Jesus, I have rejected you. I have lived for myself. I have been self-centered. I have been Lord of my own life, but today I receive you. Let it be true what you say, that you will lead me and guide me, that you'll never be far from me. Help me to live for you from this moment on. And so both of them have this experience. Both Zechariah and Mary have this experience that leads them to profound truths. And their lives are radically changed. And now everything that was known about them is about to shift. We know that because if we continue to read, if you look at verse 46... Actually, we're going to go to verse 67... Because first we're going to start with Zechariah. Because Zechariah, he didn't get it. He didn't believe it. He didn't think this could be true. 
And yet after things begin to take place, his, his wife becomes pregnant. Now he begins to understand, and he's radically different. He's radically changed. Here's what Zechariah says when he realizes these things are actually going to happen. Verse 67. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised a horn of salvation for the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, he granted that we, having seen, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in his holiness and righteousness. In his presence all of our days, and you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because our God's merciful compassion the dawn from on high will visit us. The shine on those will live in darkness and the shadow of death and guard our feet in the way of peace. The child grew up and became strong in the spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. What a shift. How can this happen? My wife is old. This is not how life works. This isn't uh, what I've seen or perceived in the world around me. And now, once he realizes it and he receives this hope and he takes the gift of hope and he says, now I believe it. Now I believe it. He celebrates it. He's confident in it. He says, this truth is so great. My son, John, is that, is that of Elijah. He will go in the wilderness and declare the coming of the Messiah. What awe and wonder. Now we no longer need to fear. We no longer need to be sad. We no longer need to worry because the truth and the promise are being fulfilled. He shifts his whole perspective. Why? Because he receives the gift of hope. And when you and I receive the gift of hope, no longer are we afraid of the world, no longer do we have fear of the things that can happen to us, we have a confidence in a loving God. We have confidence in a trustworthy God. We have confidence in a God we can give our entire lives to. Many of us go through difficult things every day. People uh, undermine us. Things happen. So much challenge in life. And yet we can be as Zechariah and declare we have been freed from sin. We have nothing to fear. This will pass, and the one who is coming will make all things right. We have nothing to fear. When you actually receive the gift of hope, it transforms how you think. It transforms how you live. It transforms how you see the world. It transforms how you deal with your problems. It transforms on how you see your problems. It transforms everything about this life. So now you see clearly. You begin to understand what's happening. You begin to see why the world is the way it is. You begin to understand your own nature. You begin to see how sin rises up through temptation and how through the power of the Holy Spirit you can confess and overcome that sin. You begin to see it in power and truth and your life begins to change and now you have the gift of hope. The power of the gospel isn't that it makes every day wonderful. It's that in the midst of your hardest day, most difficult challenge, you sense God is with you. That's the gift of hope. That no matter what happens in this life, you have hope. 
My hope is not in my job. My hope is not in my money. My hope is not in my health. My hope is not in these things that come and go. My hope is in the eternal truth of the gospel. The gift, the gift I did not earn, the gift I did not uh, do anything to receive other than put my faith in and trust. It's a gift of hope. It's a powerful gift. He celebrated that gift. He recognized that gift. Now turn back to verse 46. Mary, this young girl that in all of time, if we were to look at the billions of people that ever lived, I don't know that any of us would have found Mary to choose her. Yet God chose her. God chose her as the vessel he would enter the world. And I believe he did because she was so faithful in receiving him. Not that she was perfect, not that she was sinless, but that even in the midst of the challenges of her life, she could see so clearly what this gift meant. She could see so clearly what it meant that God was coming to earth to change everything. Listen to what she says in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God, my Savior, huh? Because he looks with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. And he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and set the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. Here's Mary. In her mind, she could focus on, I'm pregnant and I can't explain it. The, the man I'm about to marry, Joseph, has to try to explain something. She's pregnant because God is the one who, who made her pregnant. Try to explain that. I don't know if we really can grasp how troubling her situation was. And all of us feel, our, we, we're in moments where we feel so troubled by our lives. We feel so overwhelmed by our lives. And we can look to Mary and say, is it as bad as that? Is it as difficult as that situation? She was in the midst of one of the greatest challenges you can imagine for her time. And yet in the midst of that, she saw clearly everything. She said, what an awesome opportunity. I'm going to be called blessed. She could foresee if, uh, far enough in the future that today we would call Mary blessed. Do you have the confidence in the Lord that you would say if there's a thousand more years of life, people would call me blessed in the future? That 2,000 years from now, people are going to call me blessed because I am a child of the king? Because I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ? Do you have the confidence in Christ that you would say, people would look at you and say, you're blessed? You are blessed. She received this news that's life-changing, this, this unbelievable news, this, this gift of hope, this gift of hope. And the hope wasn't just for her. It was for the poor, the needy, the outcast. It was for the sinner. And we were all in that line. And she said, I recognize now that I have been given one of the most important responsibilities of all. 
You know, Mary was there at the birth, and she was there at the death. Mary was there when the miracles happened, and Mary was there when the crucifixion happened. Mary, an unlikely choice. She reveals what God is looking for in all of us. That we would see past our own problems. We would see past our own situation. We would see past all the things in life that are, that are difficult. And we'd see the gift of hope. And this gift has so transformed our lives that we no longer have time to worry about the bad things. Because we're so in awe of the good. We're so overwhelmed by how wonderful God is and his love for us. And that every day, we cling to that truth. People say that sounds impossible. How can you look past the troubles of life and look to the Lord? That seems unrealistic. With man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's amazing to me being on mission trips all over the world to the poorest places on earth where people are dying of all the diseases that, are, that could be cured, meeting those people and the believers that laugh and have joy in the most difficult circumstances. And I look at that and I wonder to myself, hmm, seems like they have something. Meeting people in Haiti that live basically on nothing and yet they have joy beyond joy in life. Meeting people in South Florida, who have mansions and everything you could ever imagine and always talk about how miserable life is. Why? How could that be? How could it be? Because the hope is not in this world. The hope, and there's only one hope, and that is the birth, perfect life, death, burial, resurrection, of Jesus Christ. We're about to celebrate Christmas. We give each other gifts. What does the gift teach us? What does the gift show us? It shows us a loving God who desires to have a relationship with us as a father with his children. It shows us that to receive the gift, we have to be honest with ourselves and say, we need the gift. I need the gift of salvation. I need Christ in my life. I need to be transformed. I need to be renewed. And I receive the initial gift, and then that gift keeps on giving. The best gifts are not just one-time things. They're the rest of your life. Every day you wake up and receive that gift. I am I'm made new. I am refreshed in the Lord today. I have a new journey today to walk with the Lord. Is that a gift you've received? Is that the gift you have? As we consider the questions that this chapter in Luke revealed to us, we have to ask ourselves, what is our hope in? What am I honestly putting my hope in today? If, if we're honest with ourselves, where is my hope? What is my hope in? What is leading me and guiding me from within? Have you ever received the gift of hope? Have you ever received it? Romans tells us a gift to be received. It was paid for at a high cost, and it's freely given. I believe the reason that we actually give each other presents at Christmas is though in some way we would see the spiritual nature of God giving us the ultimate present, that you and I can receive the gift of salvation through Christ, and that that gift is available to anyone who desires to receive it. 
And so, when I look at that, I ask the question, how has the gift of hope changed how I live and how has it changed how I think? If I think and my thoughts are always in despair, always negative, always upside down and thinking that things are never going to work out for me, have I really received the gift of hope? Because our minds are really the battlefield. That's why we're told to renew our minds. The mind is where the battle takes place. Am I willing to receive Christ in my mind, in my thoughts? Am I willing to start saying, I have the gift of hope. I'm not going to allow these other thoughts to dominate my thinking. He desires for us to turn our, our mind's eye, our thoughts, off of ourselves and onto him. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever thought, I'm going to put my things on above today. I'm going to focus on the things of the Lord today. I'm going to be so in tune to him, I'm not going to worry about the other channels that are on around me. And I'm going to be so focused on him. I'd be willing to wager that if you do that, you'll begin to see the goodness of God in your life. You begin to sense his presence and his love for you. And so how do we apply this? How do we do this? How do we actually receive this gift and live it out? First, we need to thank God for the gift of hope. Thank God for the gift of hope. If you're a parent, you know how this feels. You worked really hard to find the perfect gift for your kid or your grandchild. I mean, you worked really hard. You talked to, you're like, all right, where, is, where do I get, what store, how much does this cost? How you did everything to get that kid the, the gift. And then they open it and they're like, eh, and they put it to the side, right? Or what's even worse, when they're real little, they play with the box more than the thing itself, and you're okay with that because they're little. But the truth is, it does hurt when you work so hard to give a gift, and it's so easily cast to the side. Can you imagine a greater gift than the gospel? That God himself has given you a gift that for the rest of your life, every day, you should say thank you for. <laughs> that gift doesn't compare to any other gift that there could possibly be. And to have received it is to transform. As Mary was transformed, as Zachariah was transformed, and now no longer did they see the world the way they used to, but now they see it through the light of the hope that has been given them. So we need to do that. We need to be thankful and grateful. How do we do that? Also, we have to confess our sins. To pretend like we're sinless is to call God a liar. <laughs> That's what he says. I am not sinless. I have, there are temptations in my life. There are sins that are so easily to allow in. And maybe nobody knows because they're in my mind. I need to confess those sins. I need to repent and turn. I think the number one reason we don't really recognize how much hope we have is because sin has clouded our view. Sin has deadened our heart and our emotions. Sin that we've allowed in now has distorted our view of God and ourself and actually what sin is itself. And so we have to deal with that. And, and throughout all of Scripture, we are not condemned under that sin anymore. So to own it is foolish. It's been paid for. Get rid of it. But that's a conscious act of a Christian to confess their sin and to move on from it, to deny its power by avoiding it and making sure that you're led by the Spirit and not the flesh. How to live every day? Ask the Holy Spirit for understanding. How often do you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you? How often do you talk to the Holy Spirit and say, I need your help? I'm stressed out. I'm anxious, I'm afraid. 
How often do you talk to the Holy Spirit and ask him to guide you? And then finally, probably the most important thing for a believer is to share the gift of hope. To share it. Because here's one thing you know and I know. If someone does not have their hope in Jesus Christ, eventually they're going to be let down by their hope. Whatever they've placed in their life, this is my hope. Whatever that is, eventually they'll be let down by that hope. Are we prepared at those moments then to share the true hope? Are we praying for those opportunities? Are we intentionally seeking those opportunities that when hope is lost, the true hope can be revealed? The greatest gift I can give to my kids, my spouse, my wife, my family is to be a godly man who lives according to the gospel. The greatest thing I can do as a citizen of the United States, as a resident of Port Orange, Florida, is to share the gospel with those around me by my actions, my words, and the actual declaring of the gospel. I'm so thankful I get to be a pastor. You know the one thing I always think about? I am so thankful I get to be a pastor because every week I get to share the gospel. And guess what? If you don't have a job where they say, you got to share the gospel every week, you can go a long time without sharing the gospel. And let me tell you something, and you know this. When you're dead, when you're about to die, are you going to look back and say, wow, I'm glad I didn't share the gospel? I believe that probably the greatest regret we'll all have is that we'll die and we'll look back and say, man, I had so many opportunities, so many people in my life that I could have just said, hey, this is, this is true. This is what I found. This is, this is transforming. This is, this is what life is about, and I'd love for you to hear it. And I'm not going to force you to believe it or think different of, of you if you don't want to listen, but I want to share it. I want to love you enough to share the greatest gift that I've ever received in my life. And so that is what we're called to, and it's not always easy. God never said, hey, life's going to be easy. Jesus never said, follow me, and it's going to be super easy. He, he says, no, follow me, and I will help you through it. Cast all your cares upon me. Let me lead you and guide you. Let me speak through you. Let me encourage others today. And so what is God telling you right now? God talked to Abra- uh, Adam and Eve in the garden He even talked to Cain before he killed Abel. He talked to Noah. He talked to Abraham. He talked to Isaac. He talked to Jacob. He talked to Joseph. He talked uh, through Jesus, who is God made flesh, to Peter and, and to John. And he talked to his disciples. He was constantly communicating with those that he was in relationship with. And so, what is he saying to you? What is God speaking to your heart? We did not gather this morning to study historical accounts of things that happened 2,000 years ago. We gathered so that through those accounts, the living God could speak to us today. And he could motivate us and challenge us and grow us. And that we would be stronger today because of what he's leading us to. So what is he saying? How is he speaking to your heart? For just a moment, if you bow your head and close your eyes. We want to take this opportunity to be intentional 
in our communication to God. So now, Father God, what is it that you would like us to know? What is it that you are teaching us? Show us, Lord.